Thank you, worship team. Invite you to take out your Bible, open up to Genesis 22. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I would love to get you one. Um, see me after, actually, the congregational meeting. And uh, we have plenty. I'd love to give you one. You might find one in one of the chairs in, in front of you if you didn't bring one. Genesis 22, we're going through the story of the Bible. And uh, last week, we got to this key moment when God gives his promise to Abraham and says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And the rest of the Bible really unpacks that promise. It tells about the unfolding of this ultimate promise, God saying, I will bless you, you will be a blessing. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, if that's the message, if that's, if that's the promise, a lot of people would say, Sign me up for that. I mean, I, that sounds good. Receiving a blessing, being a blessing. Receive and, and be a blessing. And the, the, you know, that, that's, that's great news, right? And, and the Bible then tells about this promise and, and how God is faithful to this promise throughout the ages. But right after God gives that promise, there's this this amazing, this unique and terrifying story in Genesis chapter 22 that we're going to read. Um, and, and the question is, what happens when God's promise feels fragile? What happens when you're tested to really believe the promise of God, when it seems like it's not going to happen? And you wonder, can I really, really believe? So that's what this story is about. Um, let's look through it together. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain, I will show you. Take a, a quick pause. It's interesting that as we read this story, we're not going to see much emotion from Abraham. Um, and and we might wonder what do you what, what are you feeling, Abraham? As you're, you're you're this is this is happening to you from a a parent's perspective. We we can know that oh, he would, he would be falling apart on the inside. But it might not have been a a, a terrible surprise to Abraham that this would happen. See, in the ancient world, um, it was fairly routine for people that believed in the, 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 the regional gods, not the true God, but the regional gods and their worldview, the gods that govern certain regions. It was pretty common um, to believe that that God would require of you to sacrifice even your child to show your your worship of that God, that that God was uh, your, your, your everything, and, and you, would, you would sacrifice even what was most precious of you to gain that God's favor. And so when Abraham hears us from the Lord, sacrifice your only son, well, that, that might have been kind of what happened back then. He'd be like, yeah, I, I, I guess it's, it's time for that. 
So verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set up for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And we will worship, and then we will come back to you. So notice he said to his servants, stay stay here. Because I'm thinking, he's figuring, if I am to go through this, there's no way I can have anyone else around with me. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, well, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. The tension is just simply building up in the story. They reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham's time with his son had had run out. Every excruciating step up that mountain was was finished and now it's the moment of faith. You know, I think think if Hollywood were scripting the story, this is this would be the moment when when Abraham would just lay down and say, "I can't do it. I can't go through with it." But that's that's not what happens in the story. Verse ten. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So up until this point, it's just an agonizing story. The next verse is when we're released from our agony, verse 11. And we find out that God did indeed not intend for Abraham to to go through with it. So the next verse, verse 11, that's that's when the relief comes in. And and if I'm honest with myself, um, I read verse 11, I'm like, whew, God is good. I can I can trust God because I know verse eleven's coming up. I know verse eleven, and I, I rush to verse eleven um, so that I can reassure myself. But I'm also reminded that in life, um, so it seems that we don't get to a verse eleven. Uh, there's There are times when it seems that God does not step in and save the day. There's not this reassuring verse 11 that happens, and that's, I think that's why being a part of a community of faith is so important because we're here to support one another and remind ourselves that God is good, even when it doesn't look like there's a verse 11 coming. I've told you in the past about um, some of my family, extended family here in in, in Houston, Clear Lake area, um, my uh, my uncle, uh, my my mom's brother, got remarried um, 
kind of midlife and uh, met this wonderful woman, Vicky. And second marriage for both of them, they were incredibly happy. And not long, a few years after they were married, uh, my uncle got cancer. And a few years after that, he he died. Um, Vicky had a son, one son from a previous marriage. Several years after my uncle uh, died, Vicky's that son was killed in a car accident in college, car car accident. And several years after that, my aunt Vicky passed away. It's just one of those those things where in life, and we know that that happens in life, and you go through it, and you're like, "Where's where's verse eleven, God? Where?" Where, where does verse 11 come in? And that's what we're here for, so we can remind one another verse 11 is coming. So I have this critical question for us today. Can you trust God when your life doesn't go according to your plans? And I wonder if what Abraham was telling himself with every step of this journey up to the top of the mountain was, Abraham, no matter what, keep believing, keep trusting, keep walking. Because sometimes that's all we can do is just reminding ourselves, keep going. One more step, one more day, keep going. God wants us to keep walking forward, keep relying on Him for every step, keep planting our hope in God, because one day God's going to make everything right. One day, verse 11 does come. So here's verse 11. Abraham has his knife drawn over his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So I want to go through three responses that the story gives to that question, can you trust God when your life doesn't go according to your plans? One, yes, you can. You can trust God. In fact, you can trust God with your all, is what the story says. See, there, there, there's two levels of Abraham offering God his son. And one level is just the parental level. I mean, it's his son. God might as well have asked Abraham, Abraham, just cut out your own heart and stick it on that table, right? Uh, that's, the, that's, that's basically the same thing. Just take out your heart, rip it out, and give it to me. You can trust God with your all. He was willing to give what was most precious to him. But, but there's another level of this story. Um, this story was very important to the Israelite people throughout the centuries that were to follow. This story right here, why? Why was this story so critical to the people, ancient people of Israel? Well, because it was through Isaac that God would fulfill 
his promises to the Israelites. Remember, Abraham had two sons at this point, Ishmael and Isaac. And it was through Isaac that God would build his people, the Israelites. So without Isaac, there would be no Israelites. That's, and, and the Israelites recognized that. And that's why this story was so important to them as a, as, as a people of God, because this story was a reminder that God will fulfill his promises to us, even when it might not look like that's going to happen. You can trust God no matter what. So God asks us to do that. Trust our life with him, all of it, no matter what. And I want to think of this word, provide. God will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Uh, One of the points of this story is to talk about how God provides, how God is providential over his people, over his creation. What do we mean by God's providence? Have you heard that word, God's providence? I think one of the best definitions of providence comes from actually one of our church's um, historic confessions of faith, the Heidelberg Catechism. It's, it's just a beautiful description and definition of God's providence. I want to read this to you. Um, what is God's providence? This is what it says. God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. And when we believe that, about God's providential care over His creation, we're able to live in a certain way. How are we able to live? Next next question and answer. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, looking to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love, for all creatures are so completely in His hand so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. And that's why the Bible says that not a single bird falls down from the sky without the heavenly Father's knowledge and will. That's God providentially taking care of his creation. God wants us to trust his love so this test, Genesis 22, really was, really was for Abraham's sake, not for God's sake. God knew how Abraham was going to respond. This wasn't God saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Let me, let's see what, what Abraham does. God knew what was going to happen. This test was for Abraham. This test was so that Abraham could trust and see that God indeed is trustworthy. So you can trust God with your very life, all that you have. Second thing this says, God sees the future he has planned for you. God simply knows how he will provide. You can trust him. God 
gave this great Abraham gave this great faith declaration um, in response to Isaac's question, where's, where's, the, where's the animal, father, that we're going to sacrifice? So look at verse 8 again. Look at what Abraham says. Abraham, in verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The Hebrew word translated as provide, uh, you heard Lydia mention that word earlier, Jaira, Jehovah, the Lord will provide, Jaira will provide. Um, and that, that Hebrew word, Jaira, has been somewhat well known over the past couple of decades as more Christian songs have been written with that, that word in there, God providing. But let me tell you what that word really means. That word really means to see. Jaira means to see. Jehovah Jireh really means the Lord will see. He will see how he will provide. Throughout history, we've connected these two ideas of providing and seeing. Just look at our our word provision. Provision. You see the word vision right there. We've connected these two ideas of providing and and seeing. That word comes, by the way, from the Latin word um, provideo, where we get our word video, to see, to look forward, to look forth. In this story, Abraham was stating that God has a greater vision than he does. Abraham knows, I've got a blurred vision. God told Abraham and and Sarah, you're going to have a son, and and they're old as dirt at this point in time. God, I I don't see how it's going to happen. God sees. They look forward to the future for the the fulfilling of that promise. They, They left their homeland. Remember last week? God says, go, leave your homeland, leave your people, go to the land I will show you. I can't see that land, God. God says, no problem, I'll, I'll take you there. Sooner or later you'll see it. When? Well, when you're standing in it. God sees. Abraham's vision is blurry. So God made Abraham burn all of his bridges in the past. And now in this story, as a scholar um uh, Sidney uh, Gradanus puts it like this. Now, God asked Abraham to burn the only bridge that lies ahead of him. God said, you got to burn all your bridges, Abraham. What, what, is he, what is he making Abraham do? Just put 100% of his trust in the Lord. There was a reason God, Abraham knew this. There's got to be a reason. God wouldn't be asking me to do this unless... God knows something that I don't, sees something that I don't, and knows a better way than I can't see. So when your vision is cloudy, you can trust God sees something. When you've been turned down for that job, God knows there's a better one coming. When you are forced to make new priorities in life, even though it's kind of painful, God sees the payoff to that. He he knows the formation in you that he will bring about as you rearrange your heart's priorities. God 
sees the grace he's going to give you when you're just having to hang on. How am I going to make it through this, God? God sees the grace that he's going to give you when you need it. So question, is there something in your life you are resistant to trusting and trusting with God? Is there something that, God, I can give you 99% of my faith, but I can't give you that final 1%. What's that final 1% for you? I'm asking you this morning, will you lay that down to the Lord, that final 1% of trust? So God sees how he will provide for you. And the third thing this story says, you can trust God with all because God has given you his all. It's interesting, the first time in Scripture that the Hebrew word for love appears is right here in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, take your own son, take your son, your only son, whom you love. That's the first time we see the Hebrew word love in, in the Scriptures. And go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there. So when God wants to introduce this word love to us, this is the story he gives us. A story of great love and the willingness to make a great sacrifice. But don't you see that this story is a story of an even greater love? Why is Moriah Now, that word Moriah, that that location appears twice in the Bible, once right here. Why is Moriah significant? Because the other time that it appears in in the Scriptures is when it said that Solomon had the Jewish temple built on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. That mountain that Abraham and Isaac walk up to was the mountain that Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem on top of. And something else happened at Moriah. It was there in Jerusalem that God made the ultimate provision for us. Because what, what, what is the need of, 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 of your heart? Of, what's the human need? Well, we see, saw back in, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and were separated from God, the human need is to be reconnected with God reestablished in that relationship. And it's, it's in Jerusalem, it's on the mountain that God made that ultimate sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be restored in our relationship with God and so that we could re- be redeemed from our sin. And just as Abraham loaded the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, the cross was laid on Jesus' shoulders as he ascended that hill to his crucifixion, God did stop the knife of Abraham from falling on his son, but there was a moment when God did not stop the the spear, the, the nails from being driven into his own son. With Abraham, there was that voice from heaven that says, do not do this, but there was a moment when that voice of heaven did not cry out stopping the sacrifice, halting the sacrifice. And God saves the ultimate tragedy for himself. God is the one who is inflicted with the sorrow and the grief. He does it on himself as he gives us his son, Jesus. This time, the son does die. And he uses Jesus' death for something glorious. And it's pointing this out to us, and this this is the gospel, that when when there's a crucifixion, there's always a resurrection with the Lord. 
God is always bringing about a resurrection when there is a crucifixion. God brings life when there is death. And God says, you can believe that promise. And, and then with every, every step you take in life, with tenacity, you can hang on to this promise. God's going to bring about a resurrection, even when you can't see it. And you keep moving forward, and you keep moving forward with every step. You keep hanging on to this promise from God that he will provide a resurrection for you. And we can know that. Why? Because God was willing to give up his all to us. You know, we see this story of Abraham and Isaac in the New Testament as well. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, we looked at it last week. And I'm going to point out a few extra verses from Hebrews 11 this week about Abraham. Verse 17, Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offering will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And that that last half of that last verse, it's one of those... You look at the original language and you're like, I don't know what that means. I mean, it's just a confusing uh, last half of the last verse. Um, But let me tell you what I think it means. And so, in a manner of speaking, Abraham did receive Isaac back from death. I think it means this, that when you trust God with your all, ultimately you will never be disappointed and you will be rewarded. Abraham reasoned, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. I really don't know. I got my knife here, and I don't know what's going to happen next. But I know if I trust God, ultimately, he's going to do something good. This points out to us, when you trust God, you ultimately will never be disappointed. Ultimately. Ultimately. And you'll be rewarded. See, either way, Abraham was going to get his son back. Regardless what happened, God was going to make a way for him to get his son back, either through the ram in the thicket or through the Lamb of God, Christ, who died in our place so that dead dreams don't end there, but there's a resurrection. God was going to make a way for Abraham to get his son back. So as you lay that last 1% down to the Lord, I trust you with everything you can know. You can know God's going to make a way for whatever you're laying down to the Lord to receive a resurrection. God has a much clearer vision than we do. So I want you to think as we close in prayer, where in my life do I need to remind myself, boy, God has a clearer vision than I do? Where do you need to remind yourself of that? Um, in what situations of your life do you need to say, God, I believe in your goodness. And I believe you're going to bring about good in this one thing here that is breaking my heart. I believe you have a plan. Where is that? What's that 1% that God is asking you to give to him, that final that final bit of trust that God is saying, give to me now. And when you do give what is most precious to the Lord, it is only the beginning of what God will do. When you have a death of a dream, 
God, oh, he's a master of taking what is dying, dead and dying, and bringing life, making something new again. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you are the God of that, that never brings a dead end. You always bring new life. You are a God that helps us fight against despair and disbelief, and you bring hope. Lord, help us to give us, to give you all of our trust this morning. Whatever we're bringing to you this morning, this, this anxiety, this, this scenario that we don't know how it's going to work out, Lord, we commit it to you. And we rely on your love and your goodness and your vision and your power. Come to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.